You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for November 2016. Today's episode is titled, The Context for Economics. From a Christian worldview, the starting point for economics must be sound biblical thinking about God and His purpose for mankind in history. All economic activity must support God's purpose by enabling mankind to fulfill the creation mandate in the context of the meta-narrative. This is the correct context to support economic activity. Economic activity executed based on common grace can only be marginally effective. Economic activity executed by true disciples of Jesus, who are doing the will and ways of God, will be efficacious in glorifying God and producing excellent value for those served. Wise management understands this reality and builds organizations based on discipleship. And now Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, The Context for Economics. Well, this morning I want to take you through a brief uh, presentation of the context, the biblical context for economic thought. Uh, You know, every subject of learning, of knowledge, we have to have a context. We've got to have a starting point. In the Greek language, there was a word called arche. That's how I understand it to be pronounced. It's on the slide here uh, in the Greek language. And it meant starting point. So for me, being a Christian and trying to build everything from a biblical perspective, that is a biblical worldview, there's only one starting point for any field of knowledge, and that is, in the beginning, God. I've got to start with sound theological thinking about God as the undergirding concept for how I learn anything in life. Uh, A number of years ago, I was at a college, uh, a Christian college, and I was talking to the head of the Department of Philosophy and Christian Apologetics. We were having a conversation over lunch, and our discussion was, what is the correct RK for worldview training? Now, for me, that's a no-brainer discussion. Uh, It's got to be theology, because that's the starting point for everything. But interestingly, his view was veritology. Uh, He thought the starting point for worldview thinking had to be truth. And my comment to him is, there's no truth without God. What's more fundamental, truth or God? Truth does not exist independent of God. God exists independent of everything. Everything else derives itself from God. So, you know, we had an interesting discussion about that. and. I, you know, I walked away more convinced than ever that, that in the beginning, God is the correct starting point for every conversation. It, it, I would love to have a school someday where every course began with Genesis 1-1. That's where it all starts, right there. And John 1-1 is essentially a repetition of Genesis 1-1, but there it's more specific that Christ is the specific one of the, of, the, of the Trinity that is the facilitator of the creation event. And, of course, in the Trinity, we've seen, those of you that have been through the BLS, you've seen Dennis's comments about the Trinity and how division of labor was inherent and in how the Trinity functioned. God was the planner, God the Father, and then God the Son became the, the executor, and then God the Spirit became the facilitator of that execution. And so you see this division of labor in each one of them. So as I, I'm starting here, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm trying to get very clear that I want to start economics, economical thinking based on Christ. So that's my starting point. 
Now, Christ is most fully revealed in the Word of God. That is the Bible. So when we think about sources of, of knowledge and sources of theology, we first and foremost should think about Scripture. Secondarily, we should consider general revelation because you can see and learn things about God through general revelation, that is, the physical world itself. And it's God's common grace to mankind, meaning everyone has the capacity on some level to see something about God from creation. Romans 1 gives us a very clear testimony of that reality. And then we have a third, third source of, of theological understanding. That's called specific revelation. That has to do when God intervenes in your life in a specific way to give you specific wisdom for some kind of issue in your life. So you have, we have three sources of revelation available to those that know Christ, special, general, and specific. For those who do not know Christ, all they have is general revelation. So they have one source of revelation, which that ought to speak to you if you hire people. Uh, if you really are thinking holistically, you will immediately say, I don't want to hire somebody that's limited in their source of revelation. I want to hire somebody that has all three sources. And so that, that then leads you to hiring people who are truly growing, maturing believers in Christ. That isn't just people who claim to be a Christian. These are people who truly are growing. And then immediately you're confronted with the reality, well, I know so very few of those. Yes, that's a reality, which is one of the reasons that business today functions to a large degree as a discipling venue. If you could really hire qualified people, truly qualified people, then the level of discipleship required in business would be very low, and these people would be able to do wonderful work. But there's almost no organization that does wonderful work because every organization is encumbered by sin, the sin of the people in the organization, and therefore the failure of the organization to be able to do what it's called to do well. Only really strong, growing, mature believers walking in their calling will be great workers. And so this is a powerful management principle that I taught in, in uh, Kingdom Management Part 1. And you need to, as a manager, as an overseer of any kind of business operation, any kind of organization, you need to get very clear on that. So economically, we have to be very clear. We need all three sources of revelation to think about economics correctly. The other thing we have to understand is that the reason that space and time exist today in, and that mankind exists in this fallen state is there is a big story going on, a meta-narrative that God is playing out over history. And so everything that we do in work and every economic activity should be connected to the meta-narrative. So economics whether it's macro, that is on a bigger level, or micro on a more granular level, is all about alignment with Christ, obedience to Christ, alignment with the will and the ways of God. And economic transactions are there inherently to enable us to better align with Christ. So we talked about how theology undergirds everything, and here's a couple of texts, Genesis 1.1, Acts 17, that underscore that. And we have to understand another principle about God's creation, which is something the Greeks did not understand. This is where Greek philosophy goes awry. They think that the physical world is inherently bad. That's a presupposition of Greek thinking. And that Greek dualism, which separates 
physical reality and non-physical reality. The non-physical reality is deemed to be good, and the physical reality is deemed to be bad. Biblically, physical reality was created good. It is tarnished by sin, but it is not by nature sinful. It is impacted by sin. And so that's a fundamental difference philosophically between biblical thinking and Greek thinking. And it's very important that you recognize that because the Greek thinking has largely impacted the world and has impacted the Christian church over the ages. We also have to recognize the fall of man. The fall of man is all about rebellion against God, and God immediately upon the fall announced his meta-narrative. And, you know, you could say, well, you had a meta-narrative that was implicit in the creation mandate. Yeah, I think there is, but now we have in Genesis 3.15 kind of more specifically what this meta-narrative is going to be about. And the meta-narrative is all about redemption. The scripture says, uh, and this is God speaking, I will put enmity between you, that is the serpent, who represents Satan and evil, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And, of course, the seed of the woman is Christ. The seed of the serpent is all the all humanity and, and, and spirit beings who are rebelling against God. So all of those are rebelling against Christ. He, Christ, will bruise your head, which means there will be a fatal wound inflicted upon Satan and his empire. But in the meantime, you will bruise his heel. That is, Satan will have a level of success against the forces of light. But in the end, the kingdom of light will prevail over the kingdom of darkness. So we have to be very clear that that's the more granular picture of what's going on in the meta narrative is the redemption of mankind and the whole universe from the bondage of sin and death and the restoration of a perfect creation. God created everything perfectly. There was a fall. Now there's going to be a redemption and a restoration of that perfect creation in Genesis as recorded in Revelation 21 and 22. And again, we have to keep clear that we have these sources of revelation to help guide us and direct us on our particular roles in the meta narrative. And here's a big big picture view of the meta narrative. It begins with creation. It's then tarnished by the fall. There's then the Old Testament, where which is all about showing mankind how deep depravity is. It's so deep that mankind cannot save, save himself. So the giving of the law, which is a large part of the Old Testament story, was a divine experiment, not because God needed to learn anything, but because we humans needed to learn something. We need to learn that we could never save ourselves. So the idea of, of being perfect, or perfectly obeying a law, that idea was rebuffed by virtue of the failure of Israel. If Israel couldn't obey the law perfectly, neither can you, neither can I. So we have to get clear. That's the big picture of what the Old Testament is saying to us. That drives us to Christ. Christ is the only efficacious way of redemption. By grace we are saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we have this redemption, and now we have an error between the the work of Christ and his ascension and his return. And the return will signal the full culmination of the judgment on sin and death 
that was affected at the cross, but not fully delivered. And in the meantime, we live in this age called the church age, where we are enjoying the benefits of being truly saved by grace through faith. <clears throat> and we have an opportunity to continue to fulfill the creation mandate by becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. The only people who could truly do the creation mandate well, obey the creation mandate well, are true disciples of Christ. And then we, have, we will have a new creation, a new heaven, and new earth. So now we have this question about this intervening time between the fall and the return of Christ. And what's going on here? And how does this impact economics? So we have to recognize what economics is. In a created universe, economics is about the proper stewardship of finite resources required to rule God's creation. We have a finite physical world. It may look vast. It may look just totally huge to us, but it is still finite. God alone is the infinite being of existence. And so we are charged now to rule this finite universe. So that means to rule well, we have to manage or steward our time, our talent, our treasure, and technology well. I call this T4. Now, many people kind of say, technology? What's that got to do with God? Well, who is it that created the technology? The technology that we enjoy today has come from God. He is the author, the creator, the source. In the beginning, God is the starting point for all technology. It's fascinating when you begin to look at technology and you realize that the foundation of technological advancement has been uniquely accelerated and articulated by the Christian faith. And there's a lot of examples of that. My wife and I just this week were talking about an example that we had both recently read about of the man who discovered the vaccine for smallpox, which today is nothing. But 300 years ago, it was a major killer on this planet. And he was this man that discovered this vaccine was a believer. He sought the Lord and diligently, through his research, discovered an antidote, a, a vaccine that would, would protect people from smallpox. What a gift that is to have in a fallen world when you have all this disease, God's put in here antidotes, ways to deal with disease. And so this man on his deathbed was asked, you know, if he felt appreciated for his contribution and the way it helps humanity so much. He said, it matters not that people appreciate me for what I contributed. What matters to me is they don't appreciate God for what he did through me. I thought, what a great, profound way to see reality. Whatever level of technology, understanding that God wants to reveal through you, it is him that is working through you to do it. You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. And the life you live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. I paraphrase that Galatians 2 text, Galatians 2.20 that we all know, but it's so true. It's no longer you. It's no longer me who live. It is Christ living in me. And so whatever it is that I do that's obe obedient to him that produces good fruit, it's him working in me. So let's talk real quickly about a definition of economics. This is a worldly definition. You go to Wikipedia and find this definition. 
Economics is a social science that describes the factors that determine the production, distribution, and consumption of goods and services. The term economics comes from the ancient Greek oikonomia, which uh, is a compound word, oikos, which means house, and nomos, which means customer law. Hence, rules of the house or rules of the household for good management. Now, that's a, that's a fairly common definition, and it's, it's, it's true on many levels. It's not quite as profound as I would like to suggest. So let's, do, let's get something a little more profound. So let's include the meta narrative. Let's include the creation mandate. Let's include the discipleship mandate. Let's think more biblically. Let's go back to in the beginning God and let that guide us into a biblical definition of economics. So here's my proposed biblical definition of economics. Biblically, economics is the social science that describes the factors that determine the stewardship of T4, time, talent, treasure, and technology, through production, distribution, and utilization of goods and services to facilitate mankind in finding and fulfilling mankind's role individually and organizationally in the meta narrative, congruent with the creation mandate, and implicitly, for you to do the creation mandate well, you have to be a disciple of Christ. And so this, to me, is a more sound, more complete, more robust biblical understanding of economics, what it is and what it's trying to do. So I would offer that to you and give you a challenge to consider that. Now, in light of that definition, let me talk about an economic transaction. One of the things we have to recognize is how God made mankind. He did not make mankind to be fully self-sufficient. For example, no human being can reproduce themselves by themselves. You have to have a partner. You have to have a mate. And it's not just any partner. It's a specific partner. I cannot reproduce myself with another male. I can only reproduce myself with a female. So I have to have a female. A female has to have a male. No female can reproduce themselves with another female. They have to have a male. So you have a very basic picture right there in creation of the need for interdependence. We are not self-sufficient beings. We are not autonomous beings. So we have to think about this reality of how we interact with each other. Economic transactions are a way of interacting with each other in light of our inability to be fully self-sufficient. So let me give you a definition of an economic transaction. An economic transaction is any transaction or any exchange of something for something else that the party of the transaction, each party of the transaction values more. So that's the sense of it. So, for example, I've got this little picture here of a man holding grain and another man holding apples. If I'm holding grain and you're holding apples and I value your apples more than, than I value my grain, and you value my grain more than you value your apples, what are we going to do? We're going to trade. That's called bartering. We just trade. And that is an economic transaction. That is the most foundational, fundamental economic transaction. Now, why do we need to do this? Well, we need to do this because of two basic things. One is the created order is huge. There's a huge creation. Just look at the world. Just, just the world. Forget about the, the universe outside of the earth. You look at the world, it's 25,000 miles around circumference in the equator. That's huge. That's a huge world. And Adam and Eve were told 
okay, I'm going to create you. I'm going to make a garden, plant a garden. By the way, Eden was not a fu fully a garden. It was just part of the, the garden was on the east of Eden, according to Genesis chapter 2. So part of the Eden was the garden, and they were to take that garden, presumably, and expand that garden to where it encompassed the whole earth. That apparently was the charge. Now, that was all pre-sin. Now, once sin came into play, now they no longer had a garden. So they had to start without a garden. And so now it became much more difficult to bring the dominion of God on earth. So we, we're going to take, it's going to take a lot of people to do this. This is a massive project that's now impaired to a large degree by sin. So that's one reason we need economics is there, there's, we need lots and lots of people. Secondly, it's what we mentioned before, division of labor. No one is fully self-sufficient. Like in the reproductive cycle, there's a division of labor. The man plays a role, the woman plays a role. They're not fungible. They cannot interchange. They are specialized roles. They can only play their role. And so by be having to play just your specific role in the context of a huge mandate to rule God's creation that requires lots of people, there's going to be a need for mutual interdependence to multiply and also to master because no one, as we now know, has all the gifts and talents. No one can discover anything they choose to discover or develop something. You can only develop what God gives you grace and revelation to discover. So economics is all about how we facilitate this interaction between human beings as we try to fulfill the creation mandate in the meta narrative. So we have many human needs, you know, food, clothing, shelter now in a fallen world. But even in a pre-fallen world where you didn't have food, clothing, shelter issues, you still have many needs, communication and the ability to travel, ability to process information, all of that. And so we can produce some of these needs and we can barter and exchange some of the things that we need with one another. But ultimately, we're going to run into a situation where, going back to the grain and the apple situation, where I've got the grain, you have the apples, and I want your apples, but you don't want my grain. So you're not interested in an economic transaction with me based on trading apples and grain. But if I had something that was universally acceptable to everyone, well, then fine, you would accept that. So let's, so let's say that's gold, and I have gold, and I say, I want your apples, and you say, fine, I don't want your grain, I want gold. And so I give you gold for it. And so you could say, well, that's just another form of bartering, and perhaps it is, but ultimately that gold then becomes the basis of a uniform, universally accepted financial system, a monetary system. And eventually, the human government sought to come in and begin to manage that system, particularly in a fallen world. So let me just give you a picture real quickly of what economics looked like before the fall. What was the economic system that was requisite for mankind before the fall? It was really very simple. I call it easy economics. First of all, you have a garden that's already planted. It's in some level of maturity and productivity. And so your job is now just to grow the garden. Secondly, you have, you have mentioned in, in uh, the Genesis chapter 2 the reality that gold is in the garden. I find that fascinating. Gold in the garden. And it said the gold is good, which means it lines up with God. Remember, the word good is a, is a, a divine attribute. We use it in English as a slang term to mean I like something. But that's not the meaning of Scripture. The meaning of scripture is it means it aligns with God. And so this goal aligned with God. Well, that's very interesting. And given that there was no sin, 
at, in the pre-fallen state, mining must have been very easy because we attribute difficulty and work to the product or the, the, uh, the consequences of sin. We see that with the, the referral to thorns and thistles that came forth from the ground after sin. We think that's, that's a, a metaphor for the difficulties we have in working in a fallen world. But mining in an unfallen world was very simple. So gold mining would have been simple. So these miners that were charged to go mine as opposed to farm, they would go you know, harvest or mine the gold, and they would then come back and trade the gold for the things that they needed. So that was very simple. The other thing that needed to happen in the garden is families. You had to reproduce yourself. We need lots of people to govern God's universe. And obviously, you need to be learning self-government under God. And that would be the way the families would teach. But as the families grew and technology was advanced, there would be a need also for education because not everybody is going to be an expert in everything. We see that in our world today. Well, it would have been true before the fall as well because God still makes people, you know, in terms of their gifting, uh, we think the same as he would have before the fall, he does now after the fall. We have gifts and talents. Adam and Eve had certain gifts and talents. So we need education and specialization of people to go in various areas of, or fields of technology, and then those fields need to be taught to our children because as homeschoolers have discovered today, they can only take their children so far before they have to have tutors and specialists to come in and help educate their children. And, of course, the end goal of educated children is now to master and multiply increasingly with efficiency as we, we exercise dominion on God's creation. So that's, that is economics before the fall. Economics after the fall is much more difficult because now you no longer expand the garden or grow the garden. You have to plant the garden because you were kicked out of the garden by virtue of the fall. Furthermore, mining now is no longer easy. Now it's impeded by sin. You also have difficulties with, with families now because they're no longer self-governing under God because now the nature of man is rebellion against God. So we're not self -go teaching self-governance under God. We're teaching people to be sinners. They're born sinners, and we reinforce that unless we have been changed and then we fight the battle with the children to try to teach them the truth. And then education, which would have been rooted in the fear of the Lord prior to the fall, is now disconnected from the Lord. This is the way it is today. Education in the world today operates under an assumption that is almost never mentioned. And that assumption is knowledge is neutral. Knowledge exists independent of God. That is the assumption. That is not a biblical assumption because we assume in the beginning God. And so knowledge begins with God. Knowledge is not neutral, meaning independent of God. It is rooted and comes from God. So education now is distorted. Well, those are just the four functions in the pre-fallen state, how they're distorted by sin. In addition, there are other things that happen. For example, now in the fallen state, we have to have clothing. And one of the reasons we have to have clothing is because weather changed. And so we have to have shelter as well. Furthermore, we have to have health care because now we have disease in the world. And we have to have social order because we now have conflict. We have to have police. We have to have military. You know, we have to have various levels of law enforcement, social order in every context, in every organization. 
This takes massive amount of economic resources. And finally, we have to have an ecclesia. You see, prior to the fall, they did not need an ecclesia because everyone was a person of God. Now, after the fall, you have, you have to have an ecclesia. You have to have a people of God, a people called out specifically to God. In the Old Testament is Israel. In the New Testament, we call it the church. And so the ecclesia is the salt and light now in the midst of the world. And it takes money, resources, economic resources to fund the ecclesia. So this is a picture now of what I call hard economics, economics after the fall. It's much more complex. It's much more expensive. It's much less efficient to operate and do what we were put here to do, obey the creation mandate in this context. Nevertheless, this is what we're charged to do. This is our assignment. And so if we're going to do it well, we have to learn to think well economically. We have to think about economics from a biblical context, and we have to learn the principles of biblical economics if we're going to live well in God's universe and do what he's put us here to do, fulfill the purpose that he has for our lives. So may the Lord give us grace to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.